So anyone listening, like I feel for you because it's one of the hardest decisions to make. Connection with another human, especially if you've had that deep connection with them and you have a lot of love for them, it's hard to walk away. Sometimes there's a lot of guilt. Sometimes there's a lot of questioning of ourselves. Like, should I just make it work? Or like, is this how relationships are just supposed to be? Mm -hmm. I don't really believe that. And so if this is you, there are a few ways you can determine whether it's time to go. And the first one is that if your relationship is draining you, then it's probably time to go. Welcome to Something More Human. I'm Sam. And I'm Elliot. We're a married couple exploring human connection and its impact on ours, our guests, and our listeners' lives. Join us in creating something more human. Hi, Christina. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. We're so excited to have you. (laughs) Today we're in the studio slash in our living room with Christina. (laughs) Christina, instead of me trying to do a sort of butchered version of who you are in your background, how about you just tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and then we can dive into why you're here. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm so excited to be here and talk about everything we're going to talk about. Um, So I am a licensed clinical therapist, and I'm also a dating and relationship coach, which is super fun. Um, I love it. It's amazing. And like my main mission in the world is just to create more love. I love that. How did you go from sort of the schooling from clinical therapy into specializing in sort of relationships and love and that realm of how people interact in the world. So I always kind of knew I wanted to work with couples and spoiler alert, I don't work with couples anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I did for a while, Um, but I knew I was one to work with them, but it was really through a lot of my own experiences and my relationships and realizing that I had so much work to do on myself and that I impacted my relationships so deeply. And um, I would say, you know, I I focus a lot of my work around attachment styles and, you know, we can talk a little bit about that um, if we have time to, but um, I was definitely a very anxious person and I would be very worried that someone would leave. Um, I'd be like, even in early dating, I'd be like waiting for a text message, you know, a lot of these Mm. kind of things. And so um, I started working with couples. It was really fun, but it was also really challenging. Um, And I realized that I actually love working with individuals on their relationships and helping them to become really secure, confident um, in themselves. And um, it's something I worked on a lot, you know, for myself and my relationships. And I realized how impactful that was. So yeah, then decided, okay, I'm going to help people do this. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. So this is actually a listener question, Christina, that we got recently. And the question is, when is it time to call it quits in a relationship that is just okay? Do you think it's a great question? I think it's a great question. Right? It's a really tough question. It's a tough yeah. question. It's one of the toughest questions. Good, Good luck. Um, <laughs> oh, I've got the answers, you guys. All right. So for context, I have stayed in a lot of relationships <laughs> way too long mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like just okay. Or, um, you know, I was holding on to the idea of like love, right? Like I loved this person. Um, maybe they were everything on my list, but emotionally I didn't really feel super connected, right? Lots of reasons why we hold on to things. Um, but I do think one of the biggest things is that we were holding on to potential, Mm. the potential of what a relationship could be, who they used to be. Um, and that really gets us in a position of like waiting and waiting and waiting. 
Right. Mm -hmm. Right. When it comes to this decision, it's really hard. So anyone listening, like I feel for you because it's one of the hardest decisions to make connection with another human, especially if you've had that deep connection with them and you have a lot of love for them. It's hard to walk away. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a lot of guilt. Sometimes there's a lot of um, questioning of ourselves. Like, should I just make it work? Or like, is this how relationships are just supposed to be? Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't really believe that. Um, And so if this is you, um, there are a few ways you can determine whether it's time to go. And the first one is that if your relationship is draining you, then it's probably time to go. Like we have this idea and a lot of us have grown up in this world where we watch these Disney movies and, you know, in every single one of these movies, it's the exact same plot. Mm -hmm. Um, They fall in love. There's some like really difficult thing that they have to go through. And like love is just so hard. It's like there's a song even like love is a battlefield, you know, (laughs) like this narrative that love is supposed to be so difficult. Um, And yes, there are times when it's going to be hard. I know that you, you and I have talked about that. Like we've been through hard things. But it shouldn't feel like it's draining you emotionally every day for years on end. Right. That's a good kind of a good point that you made that at the end. I'm like, if if it's draining you for, you know, if it's if it's this week, right? I think that there's so many nuances, right? But if it's been draining you for the entirety of the relationship or for months on end, or if this is a consistent, you know, recurring theme, that seems like quite quite the red flag. Especially if it's affecting your mental health. It's funny that you talk about Disney, because I just had a conversation with someone that reminded me of sort of this revelation I had very early on in our marriage, which was like my idea of love and like my soulmate or my long-term partner would be like, when I got married, my husband would draw me a bath and like brush my hair and like braid it before we go to sleep at night. Like, where did I get that from? And, And yes, he could do that. But why was that? We don't have a bath, so I'm... Well, yeah, sans bath. But like, why did I have that that very specific image in my mind? And I'm curious if you think that part of this staying is putting people on a pedestal, right? Like you're talking about potential. You see something in someone. Mm -hmm. But how grounded in reality is that? Are we just placing this person on this potential pedestal? Absolutely. It's putting the person or the relationship on a pedestal. It's like, am I going to find someone better? Am I going to be alone forever then? Like, is this my chance if I leave? You know, am I just going to be so unhappy and I'm never going to find someone to love me again? And the answer, I think, is always yes, of course. If it's in your heart and your heart's desire, it's for you. You will find that. Um, But it's hard. It's really hard to be like, I'm going to leave this thing where I have this idea um, on a pedestal of what it could be for something that's very unknown. That's super scary. I think it shows us too, like how emotionally, not, I don't know if the word is confused or like maybe even manipulated because once you like get out of a relationship so many times, like we realize the answer to all those questions, like, am I ever going to find someone? Am I going to be alone? Of course those answers are like, of course we're going to find someone. But like, we're so deep in the moment that we actually ask ourselves those questions and we contemplate like whether or not we ever will you know and to me that that alone right there is a red flag if you're having if you're asking those questions like there's been some emotional manipulation going on in the relationship that you're in for you to feel like you might never find someone again or you'll never find someone this good again you know i i think that also there are two segues that i want to take but maybe we'll go down this rabbit hole that to me sounds like one piece of it is the partner, right? Like there are partners who are emotionally manipulative. Mm -hmm. And then another piece of it sounds to me like a bit of self-confidence and self-worth and sort Mm -hmm. of 
having that knowing in, in yourself that you are good enough for someone to love you again and it be a different person and it be even better than this version of love that you're in now. Um, Christina, I know that you have so many good nuggets about self-confidence once you're out of a relationship and once you're kind of living that single journey. Can you tell us a little bit about what is that process? How, how can people go about developing the self-confidence or self-worth or personal development? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question <laughs> because yes, you're absolutely right. That that's coming from a place of lack a, a lack of, um, trust in yourself, confidence of yourself, self-esteem. Um, and I, I do think there's still this aspect of like, Oh, this one person forever. And that's okay. Like to have that, but you have to know that you would be okay. No matter what happens, anything could happen. You know, we don't know, we can't tell the future. Um, so really having that deep relationship with yourself and trusting yourself that the confidence to know you'll be okay and that you've built this um, amazing life for yourself with your partner, but also on your own um, is huge. It's necessary. Yeah. Your partner can't be your whole world. I once um, heard this, I can't remember where it was, but they were talking, I don't know, maybe it's like a meme or something, but it was like, you are the center of your world and then you have all the different planets hmm. and your partner is just one of those planets and that it shouldn't be the only one. Oh, I love that metaphor. Yeah, it's beautiful. Dang, yeah. that, that hits deep because I think that back to this Disney thing, like mm. I think that there's this, I kind of want to call it brainwashing, which is your sole purpose in life is to go find love and that you will be unfulfilled if you don't do that. And in recent time, I've met some people that are like, you know what? It would be awesome if I met someone that would be the cherry on top, but I feel so good about me and where I am and chasing after the things that are meaningful to me mm -hmm. that I don't need it. I'm not in that desperate place and I won't, I don't know, it's like lonely. I think you and I seem to be, like on the outside, it might look like we are each other's whole world because you and I spend all of our time <laughs> yeah. together. We're always texting. We started a podcast together. But even in, even though sometimes it does feel like that, I feel like there is still such a good balance mm -hmm. in the relationship. And I'm wondering like, why? Why is that if we do spend so much of our time together and if we're always in conversation almost all the time? And like I said, we're doing this together, you know, so many hours of every single day. Um, how do you think that you and I managed to keep our independence? I think that it's removal of the ele element of jealousy for us has created space for each of us to do sort of individual exploration. Like I don't feel jealous or bad about myself. If you're like, I would love to go spend some time alone mm -hmm. or I would love to just go to the movies by myself. I'm not like, oh, well, why, why wouldn't you invite me? Or why don't we want to do that together? Like, I want you to be investing time in doing things for you and going out and hanging out with people that you like. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we ultimately know at the end of the day that if we're nourishing those aspects, we'll be better when we come back together. So going from, going from you know, in the, in the relationship and maybe almost on your way out, I think the question on everyone's mind when you eventually do go through the breakup, right, is how long is this going to last? And I know that's not an easy question, but I, you know, if you could sort of talk about that, obviously there isn't like, it'll be six months, it'll be nine months, it'll be, you know, this, obviously it's different for everybody, but, you know, touch on, touch on that, touch on that question that everyone, that we've all been through, like how, you know, how long am I going to feel like this, you know? And we've done it multiple times too. Like I've been there several times where it's like, how long is this going to last? And it, it's strange because we get so clouded. It's like, well, we've been here before. 
and you knew that, you know, whatever, you met this other person six months later, this relationship was in four months, but we we feel like it's going to last forever, so. It is a difficult question because it's very individual to mm -hmm. the person, but I say it could happen in a day and it can happen in a year because it's really dependent on where you are at and your commitment to moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've been in a relationship where I dated someone for seven years and I feel like I was over it in a couple of days. Sometimes we go through that grieving process before we even know that it happens. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's how it was for me versus I've been also in a relationship where it took me like a year and a half to get over someone. So I actually don't think it's time. It's really about your commitment to moving forward. It is a decision mm -hmm, to sure. accept closure to say, I am closing this out mm. because you don't need anything from that person. Closure is when you decide there is closure. Their choice for them not choosing you, that's closure enough to be like, okay, so you don't choose me, then I can move on because you deserve to be chosen. Mm. Dang, snaps for that. I love this take because I want to say hot take. It's not really a hot take, but something I think in the last couple of months, people have come to us like, hey, if you ever want to do an episode on breakups, like, let me know or have talked to us about kind of what they're going through. And here we are. Well, and the, the number one thing that we usually say is like, dude, time. It's time. It takes time. And I love that this perspective that you have is totally different and it's not time. I, I love the perspective as well. Also, I wrote down and I, this, I'm not trying to get away from the relationship aspect, but the you know, how long is this going to last? And like, I, you know, I wish it, I wish this time would just go by fast. I wish I could just get over this person. But I wrote down, should we even be hoping certain periods of our lives go by faster? Like, how can we use this difficult time in our life as an advantage, right? Like, it's so strange because the one thing we're never going to get back in life is time. And then sometimes we like just want time to hurry up and go by. But it's like, how do we take advantage of this really super fucking painful time in our lives and realize like, it's actually a massive opportunity for like, for growth, so yeah, I just had that thought. It's just like, it's so strange that we, you know, time gets away from us, but some, so many times we're wishing that time would just go by. Yeah. Know? I mean, we're uncomfortable. We're yeah. in pain. We're hurting. I mean, I've been in a situation where my heart physically felt like it was hurting and it's true. It, it does sometimes. Um, but it is really about your just commitment to that. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's all about changing your thoughts essentially. Right. Yeah. And realizing that if something's meant to be, it will be. So even if you were to walk away from this and, and end this thing, um, that if it's meant to be, you'll come back together. Yeah. Like there's gotta be that trust. And you know, if you don't believe in the universe, God, whatever, like that's cool, but at least the trust in yourself and the confidence in yourself to know that like, I am going to be okay. Everything is okay. And of all the things that you know, you talk about like, maybe you think this person is just the most incredible human being in the world. And there's nothing wrong with them, which I would challenge that. But let's just say you think that if you thought about, okay, all the things that you didn't like about this person or all the things why like the relationship wouldn't work, your number one thing has to be that they're not choosing you. If someone's not choosing you, then this isn't the perfect relationship. This isn't the perfect person for you because you deserve to be chosen. And that was something really important, you know, through my own journey, it was like, I, I actually, it's funny, I, I made a list because I would, we, you know, we went to like the nostalgia of a relationship, right? Oh, We're like, time. all the good things that happened in this relationship and again, been there. Um, so something I did, and I sometimes recommend to my clients is that they write out a list of all the reasons why they didn't like this person or it didn't work. And so like for some of them was like, um, well, you know, he was emotionally manipulative or, um, 
you know, he didn't stand up for me, you know, in certain situations. Um, but number one is always going to be like, let's say you can't think of anything else. It's that he didn't choose me. And I want someone in a relationship who's going to choose me. You cannot force something or desire, continue to desire someone that's not also wanting to put in the work. And I want to just go back to actually your first question, because um, I have a couple questions to ask yourself if you're considering ending things with somebody. And these questions are really, really important. Um, and for anyone listening, if you want me to, if you want to hear more about this, you can check out my episode. I actually have an episode specifically on this. It's signs to, to know when to leave a relationship and it goes much more in depth. Um, but the first question we'll that definitely, we'll link it for sure. Yeah, it, it really is a great one. Um, but the first question that you can ask yourself is if you could go back to day one, would you still choose to be with this person? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes no right? Like knowing everything you know now, like, would you go back to day one? The other question is if you had a son or daughter and they were telling you about this exact person, they were dating this person. What would you say to them? Mm. Would you want them to be with this person? I feel like that's all I need right there. And that's, 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 I feel like that's the sort of like the, the issue in my opinion with like this entire conversation is like, there's so many questions that all it takes is like that one answer from one question to realize like, there, you have your answer right there. And I feel like that right there is one of them. Maybe if you're not a kid's person, maybe it's different. But if, I mean, I just, I love that question. I think that's, Are you saying that's, because that's, beautiful. the impact is so large. Yeah. Like that's all you need to know. Absolutely. Mm. That is all you need to know. Mm-hmm. But people just, okay, well, well, that's a no. Maybe that's a red flag. But let, let me, let me try and find all these other questions that I can answer yes to. Yep. And the last question is, would you want them to be the father or mother of your child? Oh, I, we were like sharing a brainwave because I almost reflected back to, I think it's episode one. We kind of share a list of like, how do you know this person's the one? And what we didn't quite share was a question around like, do you want to have children or do you want to have a family with this person? Independent, I think, of the actual reality of family planning. Would you be happy if this person is a a co-parent alongside you building a family? This is another question I think is what you're saying. The impact is so big to the answer that that alone should tell you. Yeah. And it's not even about like whether you want kids or if you've had a son or daughter, like answering the question, it's just the principle of like, if you had a child or even a younger sister, if that helps you or a younger brother, like what would you tell them? Right. Because you'd want the best for them and you should want the best for yourself. Like at the end of the day. See, that to me is where like, I think that can answer questions for yourself about yourself is like my relationship with myself obviously is suffering. If I can say yes to, you know, for my friends, but I can't say it for myself, you know, there's some, there's some things that need to be worked out. And then maybe in that case, you're not even supposed to be, you probably shouldn't be in a relationship if that's how you feel about yourself. In that same vein, when you leave a relationship and you're in this place of decision-making, do you feel like it's really kind of an individual, like almost hermit kind of journey, like going inward and being in solitude? Or are there ways that you've seen or have gone through yourself that really leverage your friendships and your network around you to sort of ask for help and support as you go through that sort of self-development transformation to decide, I'm closing this chapter and I'm ready to move on? Like, should you ask the people in your life? Yeah. Or like, how, how might you ask for support when you're like, I'm not ready to get over it, but I should get over it, but I'm ready to get over it. But it's not time. It's, it's really the decision. I would definitely lean on friends and family more as a listening ear. I, I don't know if this is a hot take, but maybe it is that I actually don't think you should be asking a lot of people in your life for advice. Hmm. Um, 
kind of in general. It's good to hear their opinions, but I mean specifically when you're in this very vulnerable time, maybe leaning on like a therapist, maybe leaning on one person, but I wouldn't be asking like every person in your life, you know, to give their advice, but every person in your life can be a listening ear. Why not? Yeah. I say that because what happens is everyone gives their two cents based on their own experiences. And there's no guarantee that they fully understand your situation. I mean, they're not you. And ultimately this is a you decision, right? You can hear their experiences, but I think that if you're in such a vulnerable space, like hearing 20 people's different opinions is incredibly overwhelming. So leaning on just a few people to give that to you, I would say the same thing even after the breakup, like asking for people to listen. But like, if you ask 20 people, well, what should I do to get over this person? they're going to give you 20 different answers. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then it's like, oh my God, am I doing this right? right? Like, am I doing it fast enough? You know, it's it's too stressful. I think how I see it, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that perspective to a degree. And I think I'm thinking about like introverts, extroverts, like is there, you know, a, a statistic where people who have less friends or less community, you know, suffer, tend to suffer more than those who have a community around them, you know? But also I'm thinking about friends that we've had that have like come to us for, Maybe not advice, maybe just a listening ear, but... And if you've done that and we've given you advice in exchange, so sorry, our bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's true too, yeah. But I mean, I definitely have had friends, you know, ask for advice, but I think having a perspective, especially if they, you're right, they don't know your exact situation, but some people know, you know, some people do. Like some, you know, some friends are very close and they know your situation and what you're going through. And I feel like the perspective sometimes is really important. Sometimes I feel like you're so wrapped up in your own that your, you know, your emotions and your, you know, those things are skewed. Your decision-making is skewed because you're, you're compromised emotionally, psychologically, physiologically. And I feel like having those friends to offer perspectives and advice might sometimes be a good thing just to, just to see that there's a world outside of you. You know what I mean? I almost think that maybe it's not so much advice, but Mm -hmm. something that we really try and keep as a North star is leading by example. And so surrounding yourself with people who are doing the thing that you want to do or have the thing that you want, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're surrounding yourself with people who are miserable in their relationship, Mm -hmm. who are Mm -hmm. modeling bad relationship after bad relationship, I think that this will also skew your perspective that like relationships are really hard and they should just suck. And there are only glimmers of hope and we can put them on a pedestal to get through it. And that's not true. Yeah. So, it almost seems sort of like a, a journey of this when you're ready to make that decision. It's a little bit more personal and a little bit more. I have the word hermit in my mind, like sort of like introspective and like solo. I think a lot of the reasons that people maybe jump back into relationships is this sense of being lonely. For sure. And so can you fill that space with meaningful friendships in that time so that you're not making mistake after mistake? Christina, what do you think about? <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're saying the same thing. Um, is that asking for people if advice, it's not that you shouldn't be asking for advice. It's but I wouldn't ask 20 people for their advice. Using your community and being intentional about the conversation is like, I just need to get this out. I'm just feeling this way because friends offer different things. Some friends will give you their advice. Some friends will tell you what they did, right? Or they'll just listen. But being intentional about that, um, I think is really important because yeah, if you have the 20 people giving you advice, like it's very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be this balance. I think of kind of like what you're saying where like you do the introspection 
mission and leaning on your community. I'm really struggling right now. Like this is going on for me, like sharing where you're at and being vulnerable in that and surrounding yourself with emotionally healthy people who can support you through this experience. Because yeah, if you're just having people in your life who are going from relationship to relationship and it's really tumultuous, like that's going to make also your experience a lot more difficult. As people go through breakups and then become ready for experiencing love again, is there a way for people to sort of look at their past or do this kind of introspection around their own previous patterns so that they can prevent the same thing that they just left from happening again and again? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So I give everybody this activity. Um, I share with my clients and anybody listening, like do this. It'll really be high opening. Think about your last three relationships and write down the high level commonalities you see between all the people. And not only the commonalities, but how they made you feel in the relationship. And then you can even get granular, like what were some of their similar behaviors? If you're looking at your past three boyfriends and they all drank a lot, you know, are heavy drinkers, that's something going on there, mm-hmm. right? And then if it is something that's coming up for you um, and you're seeing these really deep patterns, I would reach out to someone to support because there's probably something deeper going on if we see those patterns, but it's, it's actually pretty easy if you write it out, like it'll be pretty clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What I do like you that. think about when you notice that you're attracting the same person? How do you, okay, like you've established, okay, it looks like I'm attracting this person who loves to drink. And then you meet someone and you're like, this is the exact same person that I've been attracting. How do you like break the pattern and learn from it, but decide to turn? Well, is it simply making the decision? Also, that that's, that seems pretty nuanced because it doesn't mean that necessarily just because that person drinks that they're not the right person. Or do you have to sort of get into first, like, why am I dating people that drink? Is it because I like to drink? And so I'm, like, letting these people sort of reinforce my bad habit. I don't know. I just think that that could potentially get you into trouble, too, depending on how you see it, right? If the, the last three people you dated didn't work out, they all drank. It's like, okay, I can't date anybody that drinks. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that you're being very high level about it. I don't necessarily mean that exactly. Okay. Let's use another example, you guys. That's just the one I said. Okay. Um, But I think a better one, and from my own experience, is I used to attract emotionally unavailable people. Mm -hmm. It's like super common that other people experience, right? What were you telling us about this? Yeah. Yeah. Every partner that I had was emotionally unavailable in some way. They weren't able to be vulnerable with me. They weren't able to go deep for me. They wouldn't um, create space for me in their life in the way that, um, you know, I felt like a good relationship should be uh, moving towards. So if you're in this pattern and you're like, okay, I'm attracting emotionally unavailable people. This is a pattern I've seen. I wrote on my last three relationships. Then breaking that pattern is you addressing what's emotionally unavailable within you. Mm. Mm. Like what is going on that you are attracting this kind of person? You have to look at yourself. Can we ask you what was going on <laughs> with you? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like, the, so, I like the personal stuff. Yeah. So for me, it was, I was, um, you know, anxiously attached at the time. Um, I had moved to being more secure, but, um, you know, particularly in, in one relationship that I was in, it was like very apparent that I was very anxious. He was a huge trigger for me. I was also emotionally unavailable in the sense that like, because being emotionally available, one of the aspects of that is being able to be vulnerable and I could share my feelings and all of that, but there was deeper stuff that I had shame around from my past. You know, when he he had asked me, like I had shared it. So in my mind, I was like being vulnerable, right? Like I had like done this work. No, no. I still felt so much shame around the way that I grew up, the things I had experienced. 
And I was very vague when I described it to that person. And it was intentional. Like I wasn't able to really be vulnerable with who I was. Well, he reflected that exactly back to me. He didn't share his secrets with me. Um, And the deeper things that came out later in our relationship, we were dating for almost two years before I learned some of these secrets that he felt so much shame about. And there was like such a reflection of myself too. We often want to blame the other person. Just like, oh, like he's emotionally unavailable. But like what in you is unavailable right. for that deep connection? Well, to me, it's like an infinite mirror, right? When you're like two mirrors next to each other and like the bad things get reflected both ways and they just go and go and go on forever for infinity. And I think that's like my favorite thing about relationships and our relationship that I learned is like, you know, our relationship is a mirror of ourselves. And so if you're ever in a bad way or in a bad mood, very quickly I know there's something that I've done. I'm, obviously, you could be having a bad day. That's independent of me, of course, yes. But like if you're treating me a certain way, I see you as a very fair, respectful, loving individual. So I know that you're not treating me like shit just because you feel like you can. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing this because there's something that I've done, right? And um, I just love that. I feel like that's, that's, a, that's what I've learned about relationships about you and I. It's like our relationship is a mirror. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really helpful way to see relationships and helpful for me to kind of nip it in the bud, take responsibility like right away. Like obviously there's something I've done because you're reflecting this negative energy back to me, which is obviously I've given to you and didn't realize it or didn't care. And so here we are. Yeah. I'm going to pull the thread. I think you're saying that being, being open to that turning the mirror towards yourself and, Mm -hmm. and realizing that there's always inner work to be done Mm -hmm. and it's not always, Uh, well, this person's just bad or this person's in a bad mood or, well, they have all this baggage or, well, they did this thing, but taking that extra step to be reflective on your own, whatever. Did you figure this out, Christina, by learning more and diving into attachment styles or kind of what was the journey for figuring out that that was something in yourself to address? Mm -hmm. It was through definitely learning about attachment styles because it was in, in the midst of my growth as a therapist and coach and really moving into the relationship space. Um, so yeah, as I dove into things, I was like, Oh shit. And I had a coach (laughs) who, yeah, kind of basically told me that like, he was like, um, you know, you're also emotionally unavailable. Mm. Mm. You don't want people to see the real you. Mm. I was like, Oh God you're right. (laughs) Like he was right. Like we oftentimes don't want people to see that part of us and it's taken time. Like I'm not perfect. You know, I'm, I'm in a relationship now. Like, um, I've said some of these things and I find myself even being like, Oh God, you know, it's like gut clenching to like share sometimes, but how you make that change is one, you know, if you're seeing these like deep patterns, you need to get support. Like find a therapist, find a coach. Um, It's super important. You need someone to see those blind spots that you're not seeing. Um, But the other part is like, if you're, okay, if you're like relating to my story and you're like, oh yeah, maybe I need to be more vulnerable, practice just a little bit at a time because we might never be perfect at something. I'm not perfect at being vulnerable. Like I'm just not, Um, but it takes practice. What does that look like? You think like practically, like what does that look like for someone who isn't, but wants to be vulnerable? How do they practice being vulnerable? Sharing a little bit more with people and you're not saying specifically romantically like just doing that practice with the people who are close to you yeah absolutely um yeah this is a practice i i do all the time because this is something i'm i really am working on still um i realized i've been friends with someone for six years they're my best friend i had never told her about my past like it's so wild and i have another 
really close friend. And like recently, truly, it was like a few weeks ago. I was like, oh my God, I've like never told you like anything deep about me, have I? And she's like, yeah, I mean, you usually just talk about like stuff going on in your life now. Like I'll talk about hard stuff now, but I never told her like what really made me me. And so I did. And it was hard and I felt awkward and vulnerable and uncomfortable, but like I did that. It doesn't have to be that extreme either, but like you know, just like little by little, like sharing more things with people about yourself, going inward and being like, what am I actually shameful about? What do I not want people to know about me? What am I covering up? Am I really being authentic in my life? Because being vulnerable is also being authentic. When, when we left um, the coffee shop, when we hung out, when we first met you, first thing that I told Sam was like, I love Christina. Like, she's real. Yeah. She's real. Like, she's, she, you know, she's willing to be vulnerable with us. So that's a testament to like, obviously you've done some work because we just met you. And I was like, I, I love her. Like, she's cool. Like, she's, mm-hmm. um, this is the shit I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about, like, How was you know, your day? like, yeah, like, <laughs> and we, and I still have, you know, some friends that it's just hard to get deep. And it's like, that's a difficult relationship to have, especially with yourself. So that intentional practice is, you know, is a really big deal. And mm-hmm. just wanted to give you a pat on the back because you're obviously working on it because yeah. you've been vulnerable from the very beginning. And we, we appreciate that. So, and this word, like, are you being authentic to yourself? I think is, just something that is so big and amazing. And by doing the practice of being vulnerable and doing this kind of internal work and development and like Phoenix rising from the ashes, you will be attracting those people who are also authentic. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a little bit about kind of, if you're in the practice of being behind a wall and putting up a front and showing that, front to people, the types of people that you're attracting are going to be attracted to the front. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're being more kind of in integrity and in alignment in in your authentic self, you're going to be attracted attracting people who like the real, true, honest, vulnerable you. Yeah. And like that's what we all want at the end of the day. I don't I I hope that's true though, but I feel like we've met so many people who are A, which is like here's the front and then I'm going to attract the front and like, that's, that's what they want because they don't want vulnerable people in their lives because then they'll have to be vulnerable. And that's not something that they're capable of doing or don't even want to do. You're saying that, but there's a difference I think between meeting those people and developing relationships with people because we've recently stopped getting invited to some, to some stuff. Like, yeah. I think that there's a, a, a signal, you know, like yeah. you can meet a lot of people, right. but the people that are interested in staying in your life that are choosing you. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. In the first episode, we, and we've talked about this so many times with each other, um, we explored the topic of soulmates. I think we're sort of in the same agreement and I, for the longest time, didn't want to admit it. And now I think that it's fine, but I basically don't believe, I don't believe in soulmates. I think well, we, what we do believe in is that soulmates are not found, they're made, right? Like we can obviously fall in love with anybody. Right. And then every single person, usually, you know, when we fall in love with somebody, we think at least for a moment that they're our soulmate. And of course, I believe right now in this moment and I have believed for the last seven years that like Sam is without a doubt my soulmate, you know. Um, But we would like you to sort of, you know, give your opinion on on that exactly, which is like, you know, are soulmates real in your opinion? And what do you think about, you know, soulmates aren't found, they're made. I completely agree with you. I think that soulmates can be literally anybody. It can be a friend. It can be a family member. It can be a romantic partner. It could be someone you meet like, you know, across the world. Yeah. You know, I have met so many soulmates. Like I recently went to Bali and I met 
so many soulmates there. <laughs> it was awesome. We were like so many, but you know, a few of them. Yeah. Um, and it was so cool. And it wasn't a romantic connection. They were friends. We're like, we were just meant to meet for whatever reason. And it was just, we just connected so deeply, so quickly. Um, and so when we think about romantic relationships, again, I think it just goes back to like, I don't know, just the way we've been conditioned to think about love, that there's just like this one person, the one, like just one person that we're supposed to hunt <laughs> around the world for, for right? sure. um, to find them. And I think that's a very um, lack mindset. I really believe that soulmates are just people that we deeply connect with. And then we can create and make that soulmate connection forever if we want to, because we have to choose that person still every day mm -hmm. and love them every day. And it's, it's what you make it. Cause it's all about the way you think about the situation, this person. So yeah, I completely agree with you. They're made. Yeah. Fun fact. I, when I was a little boy, because my parents were, you know, married or still are married, I, I had a very, you know, positive view of love. And I, you know, from probably like seven years old, I just wondered like, where, where's my soulmate? Like, well, I wonder where my wife is. <laughs> and turns out you lived like five miles away from me. Facts. My whole life. Literally. My whole life. And we never ran Literally into like, each other. Maybe less than five miles. Like we both live on the west side. Yeah, like I think I did. I did the you know the Google Maps. It's like five point one <laughs> or two miles or something like that. It was funny that you were just saying like we you know we theoretically or we um, proverbially search the world for the soulmate, and you were right down basically the right there all along down the street, <laughs> which is wow pretty funny. I'm down curious, along. like on yeah. this vein of soulmates aren't found, they're made. Harking back a little bit to the beginning of our conversation around when to leave a relationship that's just fine how do you know when to do the work of choosing stay through the hardship and when it's really hard because it's not meant to be relationships shouldn't be that hard i'm just gonna be, i'm just gonna say it they just shouldn't be that hard are there hard times yes absolutely there are going to be hard times in a relationship but if both people are willing to work through it and both people are giving 100 percent and want to do this work then that's a time to stay. But it shouldn't feel like you are, you know, trekking through the wilderness with like an 80 pound backpack and it's raining and there are like wolves and bears coming at you. Like it shouldn't feel like that. That's sure. not what love is supposed to be like. And I don't believe love is hard. I believe that relationships can feel hard and experience difficult times, mm -hmm. but it shouldn't feel like your relationship is hard to be in. Yeah. Mm. It should feel easy. The first couple years of our marriage were really, really terrible mm -hmm. and were very difficult. You know, and there was plenty of times that we could have, you know, given up because it was hard and not fun. But I think what you were saying is true. It's like it is hard at times, but when you put in the work, usually good things come from that. And I think that's kind of what we experienced. I think and it's I a theme of choosing and being chosen. And mm -hmm. like we knew that we would, that we each made a commitment and that we were steadfast in the commitment, even though we were like, well, this fucking sucks we were still down to do the work. And it's like, if one person feels like I've made a commitment, I'm down to do the work. And the other person's like, well, this is just who I am. Like, oh, well, you're mm -hmm. going to have to deal with it or go. I think that's a huge piece of like, is it reciprocal choosing? Yeah, 100%. For sure. There's going to be tough times. Like you, like you said, you experienced that. I've experienced that. But it goes back to those things. Like, is it impacting your mental health? Are they willing to also put in the work and not just like go to therapy with you, but are they being open? Are they willing to grow? Those things are important because someone can say they're going to do the work, but are they doing the work? Mm -hmm. right. Is there evidence that both people are like, we're choosing each other. We're doing this. I like the evidence aspect because that, that is something that Sam is really good at doing. If Sam 
isn't feeling loved or isn't feeling like I'm putting in the work. Sam basically asked me for evidence, you know, like, how do you basically put it? I don't want, I don't want to say that you're like, tell me how you love me. But like, what do you, (laughs) or I'll sort of like put it in the context of like, we each have different love languages that we like to give, but we also have different love languages that we like to receive. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, here are the ways in the last week or month that I've been showing you that I love you. What are the ways that you've been showing me? Because sometimes you miss the signals, right? Like if my love language for reception is different than Elliot's love language for giving, I'll miss the signals. So doing kind of a gut check, not so much like here are all the ways that you're failing, but I'm not feeling loved. Am I missing the signals or are we getting comfortable and a little bit lazy? And I think like the theme of this podcast so far is probably because the word we've used this word probably the most, but it's like intentionality, right? It's like having those conversations. I feel like so many times people think that they should just be able to coexist. And maybe in some certain cases, like people do, maybe for some couples, like love is super easy and there's not a lot of work involved because they just, you know, click on every front. And for Sam and I, that's not the case, but like those conversations like have to happen. Those conversations just have to happen and they might be awkward and it might be difficult. But I think the thing that got us from where we were to where we are is like, we're on the same team. Like we realized like we're, we're on the same team. Like whereas before, like we wanted to be right at whatever cost. And now it's like, well, why would I want to be right? Like I want, I want us to be right. I want us to be good. I'm kind of going in circles, but I think that that question is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, The evidence is really important. And sometimes you have to ask those questions, you know, or write a letter, you know, Mm -hmm. and that you did, you did that recently. And we've talked about that on another episode, but. I think intentionality may be the answer to my next question, but when people are getting back out there, how do you know when to trust your instincts versus the trick of like brain chemistry? So love versus lust or intuition versus the biochemical reaction of meeting a person and that early phase of a relationship. I love that you asked this question because this is something I had to think about in my relationship, Mm -hmm. as you guys know, (laughs) Um, because we have a very strong um, connection. And I would say that one, like, slow down a little bit in your brain and ask yourself, is this person being consistent in their actions? Am I consistent in my actions with this person? Right. Um, are they doing and making me feel the way that I want to feel in a relationship, which maybe yes. Right. And then I say this with a grain of salt because, okay, I'm allowed to say about this. When people have sex, <laughs> women, um, we are created biologically to, you know, connect with a man. So when we have sex with men, um, we chemicals are released in our body that make us feel more attached. Men also feel this on some level, not as intense. Um, but what happens is it creates this false sense of intimacy. And it can be very difficult to then see the whole picture of what's going on. So I generally tell people that they should wait at least a little bit if they're not sure about your question, because it gives a lot more clarity going back to, are they being consistent? Are they the type of person? Because you have to know what you want when you're going out there. Are they that person? Like check your, whatever you wrote down of like your Mm non-negotiables. Are they those things? How do they make me feel? How do I make them feel? Have they communicated that with me? And give it time. Just give it a little bit of time yeah. to be consistent and, and to show, okay, is this really love or is this just me lust? And I'm like, just really excited about this person. I love this like biochemical bond, like false sense of being bonded and 
just being intentional about taking that out of the equation. I've never thought about it in that perspective. Of course, we talk about like, should you wait to have sex with someone that you're, you've just met? Like, does it matter? Mm -hmm. And I think if you're asking yourselves these questions, right? Like, is this real or is this sort of my brain chemistry tricking me that that's a really, really concrete tactic Mm -hmm. to take into consideration? Yeah. I think pulling some words out that you were saying that I'm resonating with that has to do with the question that you, that was right above the one you asked is slowing down. And I feel like everything nowadays is sped up, including like the ease of access to all of these potential mates, right? Dating apps. Um, and the question that one of the questions we had was, you know, the tactics for getting back out there. What, like, what do you have to say for people who might not want to use a dating app? You know, how do they go about, you know, meeting people that that's a whole topic, but I feel like that's a way to slow down. A way to slow down is like, get the fuck off Tinder, get off of these apps and like explore yourself and maybe give yourself the chance to meet someone like serendipitously instead of having this thing that's like right at your hip. It's like, I can just get on this thing and find someone right away and, and get into trouble like that again, you know? Um, so I guess a question I have is sure. Do you have any advice for people that don't want to use dating apps? That do want to get back out there. That do want to get back out there, yeah. Mm -hmm. I totally do. I want to go back to the sex thing real quick, though, is that I want to make it clear that when I say this, that I don't think there's actually any wrong time to have sex. I don't think that, like, if you had sex with someone on the first date, like, you're doomed, that was bad, you should shame yourself in any way, shape, or form. Even if you did that, whoever, you know, the other person is in the situation, like, it depends on their intentions. If someone's just trying to hook up, they're just trying to hook up, it doesn't matter if you had sex on the first or 10th date. Like, it really doesn't matter. If you have a connection and it's right, like, it's going to work. I only say it just to the point of, like, slowing things down, being more intentional in your own actions to, like, be clear about how you feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you get the rose-colored glasses, right? (laughs) When that happens. And then for getting back out there and meeting people in person, oh, my gosh, this could be a whole other episode because I'm very passionate about um, ditching dating apps, um, is that, you know, get out there with the intention of I want to meet, you know, my person or whatever, right? Your uh, potential partner, but not putting pressure on situations, right? So not being like, I'm going to go to the bar and meet somebody tonight. Like that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Get out there, join rec sports, you know, meet people, just make friends because you never know how you can meet somebody. Like you can meet someone through a friend that you made. Maybe they're having like a party and you go and um, you meet someone there. Like you just never know what could happen. Like stop putting so much pressure on it, mm-hmm. but also be available for it, right? Being open to new experiences and meeting new people, um, you know, joining clubs or trying new things, like getting out there and then getting comfortable just talking to people. Yeah. yeah. Like just talk to people like normal, like um, a great example that I've done. I, I've had to work on this because it can be kind of intimidating to like go talk to a stranger. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I have so many examples, actually. Um, So I was recently at the airport. I was coming back from Bali, and there was a very attractive man (laughs) who was um, behind me in the line um, a few months ago. And I just turned around, and I was like, oh, hey, like, you know, where are you headed? And we just had, like, this conversation. It went nowhere. But I started a conversation. Or, like, I've been at coffee shops, and I'm like, oh, like, here's your drink or like, oh, I think they called your name, right? You're just opening the door for a conversation with someone. I've commented on people's shoes because I don't know, I like shoes. So I'll be like, oh yeah, like your shoes or like, oh, have you been here before? Or if you're at a coffee shop, sit down and hey, like, is this seat taken? You know, if it's kind of crowded, like go sit with them. I think these are all big components of like the first part of the podcast, which was like, you know, being in the shit, 
how long this is going to last. I think those are all great components to get over or to make that process speed up is like get out there. Yeah. Like have, you know, have new experiences, like join a, a rec club, like you said. And they seem like kind of silly suggestions, but I feel like that people really just get wrapped up in, in the pain. And so they'd rather just, you know, be home and suffer. But it's like you, you need to keep yourself busy. I also you think know? like we are maybe not fully aware of how like socially impacted we've been by the pandemic and like post pandemic, the world is reopened. A lot of us have these atrophied social skills that make us very socially anxious. So we tend to do this sort of, I'll just stay home all weekend and I won't meet anybody. Yeah. And I think that this is very similar to the practice of vulnerability, like mm-hmm. practice going to places where people are practice striking up conversation with a stranger even like just fully detached from the outcome just yes. to say i love your shoes i love your yeah. earrings like have you been here before do you like this place and and doing the practice we talked this a little bit about like how do you make friends in a new city yeah that's exactly it like it goes back to what i was saying like not putting pressure on that just because you sit next to some attractive man at a table doesn't mean it's going to go anywhere right. right but you're opening the door for connection mm-hmm. they could be like a friend connection and again you can like meet so many people through that person you have no idea where this could go it could also go nowhere right but it and just that's okay too yeah and you're just practicing this connection you know i, I think it definitely takes practice because like i said it's intimidating um to do but yeah just getting out there i think it's fascinating that we talk like we're human beings talking about how do you make friends like how do you connect how should i speak to this person how should i introduce myself i and i'm wondering like how really how much of an impact covid you know really did have on our socials because I'm sure of course there were podcasts before 2020 about like this very thing but I just think it's so interesting that we that we spend so much time talking about like there are people that are legitimately worried that have so much social anxiety mm-hmm. going out like we went out for our first um networking event and there was the drive there I kept thinking okay what am I like what am I going to say when I first walk in like how am I going to explain the podcast like how am I going to introduce myself and it's like dude just relax and be yourself and then we ended up meeting people that you know, it we're sort of on the successful. same wavelength as us and, you know, we're creatives like us and, and it was easy to, it's easy to talk to people that you have a lot in common with, obviously. And I just think it's fascinating that we talk about how to be, it's almost like we're robots <laughs> learning to be human. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people close to us who ask us about like finding the right person are very lonely. And so I think yeah. by doing this practice of connection with detachment from result of just practicing connecting with people out in the world you will not only feel more connected but you'll also be feeling less lonely and therefore will be able to act not so much from a place of lack but from a place of attracting the right person Mm -hmm. and it's okay to be awkward and it's okay to fuck up what you say and stumble over your words. And like, that's part of the practice and we're all human and we all do it. I do it all the time. Yeah. I do all the time. Another thing, a really small practice that people could start doing is when you go in to like grab a cup of coffee or even in the target line, whatever, like wherever you are, we tend to pull out our phones. Mm. We bury Mm. our face in our phone. (laughs) Try just putting it away, Mm. stand in the line and be uncomfortable until you're comfortable Mm -hmm. because when you're in your phone like no one is or not no one but like most people are not going to come up and talk to you right Mm -hmm. if you're on your phone right so getting comfortable with being okay with like that vulnerability basically just being there just you Mm -hmm. i think we're gonna have many conversations and even maybe like a series about phone usage 
and I'm gonna have to toot my own horn right now. So I'm I'm meeting um, I'm meeting my friend who's a life coach, and we're meeting like once a week, and and that just started a few weeks ago. And of course we were talking about phones because I definitely think I have an addiction to my phone. Not I think, I know I have an addiction to my phone. And I was talking about averages, like the American average, like phone usage is like seven hours a day, which is absolutely insane. Mine is about the same, it's like six, six and a half, seven. Do the and math, it, do the math for the people. That's like sleep time. It's, well, well if, you, you if, you, this- if you if you get really, if you want to get really scary, if you, and it's very simple math, right? That's basically a third of your life. So if you live to be 90, that's 30, you're going to spend, you will absolutely spend between 20 and 30 years of your, of your life on your phone. Oh my gosh. Which is absolutely depressing. So we'd made a challenge that she, we challenged each other just to bragging rights um, that whoever has the lowest uh, screen time average for this week you know, whatever gets bragging rights. And so I told her last week when I met her on Friday with my friend, her name is Erica, shout out Erica. I said, I'm going to try and do two under two hours. My screen time for this week is an hour and 45 minutes. Except today we're recording on Elliot's phone. He's like, oh no, my screen time. <laughs> my screen time is going to go up. So I screenshotted it before this and sent it to her because I was like, my screen time is going to go up after this. But my screen time has been an hour and 45 minutes this week. <laughs> That's amazing. And I feel like I'm already like feeling like effects in my brain, like the ability to pay attention better. But also like you're saying, like you don't open yourself up for any opportunity when you are literally on your phone, like we go to the bathroom, get on our phones. Mm-hmm. Like we're eating, we're on our phones. Like we're walking the dog, we're on our phones. Like we're going to the gro- grocery store in the line, we're on our phones. It's like that's, dude, like wake up and look up and breathe and like smell the roses and. and Touch some grass. <laughs> some grass. It's, yeah. So challenge everyone to do less time on their phone and make it a habit to like check your screen time every single week. Make it a habit. You're making me want to check. Actually, I do know because I do check it. I think I'm usually at four hours. I think that's about what I am. Yeah. I give myself some grace though, because I'm like, I'm at this point, we'll we'll hopefully be changing it. I'm fully responsible for all of our like social media. So I'm not just like dicking around on my phone. I am doing some work. That's true. I was going to say, like, obviously we have to use our phones to a certain extent, but I think, like, I think two or three hours is normal ish. But like, if you're doing seven or eight hours, like, it's a lot. You got to, you got to figure something out. For sure. You know? I kind of want to shift us slightly. You're such a goldmine of attachment styles. <laughs> and Elliot and I know absolutely nothing about attachment styles. I'm sure there are lots of podcasts out there for people to review. If I were a consumer of something more human mm-hmm. in the realm of Sam and Elliot, we don't know about it. So we can't talk about it. So I'm mm-hmm, curious if you can share some high level things that people may keep their eyes open for and just kind of get a sense of what even are attachment styles. Mm. I love this question and I will refer you if you want to know deeper because I'm just going to get like high level today, but I'm actually starting a series very specifically deep diving into each attachment style. So Mm. you can go check it out. Um, It'll be coming out, I think probably around when this podcast is or right after. So um, you can go check it out. I have one, but again, it's like kind of high level. Um, So attachment styles are how we emotionally connect to other people. It's how we have learned to experience love and connection. And so there are three main ones. Um, There is anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. So anxious is when, um, when we're babies, so you're on one, probably one to like two, um, we learn how to connect from our caregivers. And so if you're anxious, it's because the, the love that you felt or like the connection was inconsistent. So like maybe you were crying and, um, you know, something happened or your parents were just like inconsistent in the way that they showed you love. 
right? Maybe it's like they're really happy and like love you when you're a kiddo that you like got good grades, but when you didn't, they were really mad at you, right? That love was like inconsistent. And so as an adult and when we connect, we feel really anxious because we don't know if the love's always going to be there, right? It's a lot of times t- um, connected with abandonment. So that's how I used to feel a lot. My partner's going to leave me. I'd be really anxious. Like, are they going to break up with me? Things like that, mm-hmm. right? Or if I made them upset or um, unhappy, it was hard for me to take criticism. Like I would um, freak out, right? So when we're anxious, especially in a romantic relationship, um, what happens is the anxious person wants to get closer. And typically anxious and avoidant will get together mm. because the dynamic, the push and pull between the two of them is really strong. People who experience avoidant attachment, they feel like emotions are very unsafe. Like it's hard to be vulnerable. And so when the anxious person, for example, is wanting to come closer and get closer because they're feeling anxious, the avoidant will pull away. And that's because the avoidant when they're younger um, was taught that like emotions aren't good, right? Stop crying. Mm-hmm. Family wouldn't talk about emotions. Likely their parents were very emotionally unavailable. That's probably across the board with, with all of these. And then the other one is disorganized. And so that one's a little bit of both. It's like the person, um, I have a client who is a great example of this, right? She wants a relationship so much, but then when the right, um, per, or not the right person, but someone comes in who wants to show her that love, she pulls back. She becomes more avoidant of like, oh shit, like this is way too much. Defense mechanism though, right? That's exactly what attachment styles are. Yep. It's your defense mechanism to love because it's how you've learned to connect. That's what feels safe in our bodies. It's not necessarily, you know, it doesn't necessarily feel good. And the fourth one, so those are the three insecure styles. The other one is secure and that there's only one of those. <laughs> and secure is when we feel really good in ourselves, right? We have self-confidence, um, at least enough to feel really good in our relationships. We have trust. We're able to communicate our feelings and emotions, you know, at least to like a, a healthy level with the people in our lives. Likely our parents were um, secure, in themselves. But the thing is with attachment styles, a lot of people are like, it's who I am. Like I'm always going to be like this. And that's just not true. You notice I use the word experience, not this person. Like you are not like an anxious person. You are just experiencing this. It's a super important distinction because we're actually all wired to be secure. That is our true essence. So you can absolutely get there. So if you're experiencing it, um, like I said, like go listen to the episodes. Um, um, they'll be in more detail, but if you're struggling with it, like get support, right? Like it's, that is something I encourage everybody to do because it just doesn't feel good to be anxious all the time or like Mm -hmm. not be able to communicate your feelings. Like it's tough. It seems like a lot of this boils down to like our childhood and the way we're raised, right? Mm -hmm. And do you think instead Mm -hmm. of picking these certain aspects of ourselves that, you know, we want to work out with our therapists, like, do you think it's worthwhile just like going to the source and just like, you know, maybe you don't know, maybe you were, you know, you're very young when you had trauma happen to you, but is it worthwhile to, you know, get therapy for your childhood? Because it seems like that's where most of our, you know, trauma and our, and our issues you know, stem from. Yeah. I think working with someone who's familiar with attachment styles and that's something that they um, bring into their practice because it is going back to those experiences and dealing with those things and dealing with any childhood traumas that we had. And childhood isn't just like when we're like little, it's like also teens, right? Cause you experience so many things and your attachment style um, can also change because of big life events that happens um, when people have kids, they get married, it can trigger a lot of that stuff to come up. Because I, I believe um, that we all lean a certain way, right? We all have like tendencies. So like now I'm secure, but I also could be triggered into being anxious. Yeah. It's totally possible. Yeah. So like if I was to get married or have a baby or there was like a really stressful life event, 
I could fall back into those patterns. It's very typical. That's why a lot of people, um, like everything was great until we got married or everything was great until we had a kid because they've fallen back into those, those subconscious patterns that are there. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that like when we got married, we did the five love languages book. And I feel like having just these tools, it's so funny. Like you don't get taxes classes when you're in college, Mm -hmm. you don't get like emotional intelligence classes. Like these things are very well researched and very well established. And I just feel like we don't as a society, society know them as well as we should to be like our most successful and fulfilled versions of ourselves. I think that it it really strikes the balance of this personal development piece that we've been talking about this whole time and sort of how you relate to other people and how your partner is relating to you. Just sort of understanding that, that other person on a deeper level. We've reached my favorite time of the podcast where I like to pull out tangible themes and strategies for listeners. Something that I'm hearing is personal development, decision-making, and that kind of introspection. I'm also hearing intentional investment in your community. So building relationships with people who inspire you or Mm -hmm. you aspire to be like or who are modeling things that you appreciate or want to have or feel good about. Mm -hmm. Are there other strategies that I've missed or that we want to pull out for, I mean, the sex one, that's a good one. If you're feeling confused about, is this love? Is this lust? Is this meant to be, or is this my brain chemistry playing tricks on me? Like try taking sex out of the equation and see how slowing down does for that decision. Thank you. I think you hit it. <laughs> I think you hit it too. And one thing I'll add, um, I think you're kind of saying this, but I just want to really say it is that the best investment you can make is in yourself. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, whether you're in a relationship, you're going through a breakup, you just want to do it, do it because you only get one life. Like you only get one life, like invest in yourself, learn about these things, continue to grow. Your life is only going to feel better and happier. If you do that, it is the best investment. And it's hard. And this thing that keeps popping up is like, choose your heart both things are hard right like to to not to have to go through all those to have to dig up all the old bones that you haven't talked about in so long that you haven't thought about that you've pushed down every single day for so many years is that going to be hard absolutely but you know what's even going to be more difficult is to live that way for the rest of your life you know and you're right you only get one and then it's over and then what i think i'll also add maybe we've said this before trust trust yourself is it hard because you're just going through a rough patch and you're both committed or is it hard because this is not right? Trust yourself about the answer. Like go back to the questions that Christina posed and the answer is like, be open to hearing that shit. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) The practice of vulnerability, the practice of striking conversations with strangers, reaching out. Maybe, maybe our, our call to action today is do a little research on your attachment style and share something vulnerable with someone close to you. Really cool. Christina, thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise, your amazing story. And I can't wait for all the people to look at your podcast, look at all your offers and just kind of get into your world. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and me too. I'm, I will definitely link the episodes. Um, and yeah, just thank you for having me. This was so fun. Sam and I want to thank you so much for listening to something more human. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to support us, there are plenty of no cost, minimal effort ways you can do so. For starters, you can subscribe to the show on your favorite listening platform. You can leave us a five-star review, drop us a comment with a topic you'd like to hear us discuss in an upcoming episode, and you can also keep up with us on Instagram and TikTok. Give us a follow there at something more human. Thanks so much.
Thank you.